0: Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Great to have you with me. I'm Justin Briley, Head of Theology and Apologetics for Premier Unbelievable, bringing you of course the thought and theology of New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. And today, another gem from our show archives on the theology of worship, church and unity. Questions coming up include... Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? What should our theology of worship be? How do we know we're in the correct denomination? Tom answering these and more questions from listeners, including some conversation with me about Christian unity. This show from the archives was first broadcast in 2019. And we've lots of material, new and old, from Premier Unbelievable at our website, premierunbelievable.com. Register for our newsletter there. We'll send you a huge amount of bonus material from our shows, including 12 subscriber-only videos from our Big Conversation series, access to five e-books as well. Loads of reasons to get yourself subscribed at premierunbelievable.com. The link is with today's show. Today, the theme that we've gathered the questions under is around the church and worship and unity and those sorts of issues. Lots of different questions coming in on this. Um, for you, Tom, would you say you've seen in your lifetime a lot of movement in the, the whole area of church unity, churches willing to work together, different denominations? And yes, so on?
1: actually, I have. And it's been very exciting and encouraging. Um, I I grew up in a, a a market town in central Northumberland where there was uh, there were two or three Anglican church buildings but it was one parish mm. but then there were two quite different Methodist churches which eventually <laughs> They joined together and people, oh, they're they're getting together now. Um, There was a URC church, which then was a congregational church, Mm. and then there was a Presbyterian church. They finally got together. Now, some would say cynically, well, that's because they were all shrinking and they could only (laughs) afford one building between them. But I think there's more to it than that. I think as people were mobile and as broadcasting happened and people sort of bumped into each other, whether in the shop or in the golf club or whatever, um, why, why are we different mm, from them mm, what mm. And, and a lot of those differences went back 100 or 200 years yeah. certainly the different types of methodism yes. did and people were saying sorry we're all singing the same yeah. hymns. we're having yeah. basically the same stuff what what's what's this all about um and also some of the old prejudices have simply gone out of the window mm. that when i was um a a boy I remember I had a good friend at school who was a Roman Catholic and he came with me once um from school back to my home and one of my natural ways of walking home from school was through a large Anglican churchyard and he courteously excused himself and explained that his mother had said that he shouldn't walk through an Anglican (laughs) churchyard because he was Roman Catholic hard to imagine that happening today exactly exactly and and likewise um we had virtually nothing to do with the big Catholic church on the Mm. other side of town Mm. um didn't know the name of the priest or anything. Um now that is almost unthinkable, mm. sadly not quite unthinkable. Mm. But you know, when I was Bishop of Durham, my two uh, closest ecumenical partners really were the Roman Catholic bishop on the one hand and the leader of the um House Church movement on the other. Mm. Um and that that was wonderful. And then we had very good relations with the Methodists and with the URCs and with the Baptists, there was even a small contingent of Syrian Orthodox in mm. one corner mm. of the diocese. Um and Uh, there was a strong sense that we're all about the same thing and and that out there there's a secular world which doesn't like us and doesn't understand us and we just need each other Mm. and particularly the way that some of the Roman Catholic leaders have um, embraced the ecumenical movement. I think of Cardinal Walter Casper, uh, a great theologian in his own right, written some wonderful books Mm. about Jesus, about mercy etc. He led for many years the roman um uh, the, the office that was mm. dealing with mm. other churches and he produced a book called harvesting the fruits when he retired mm. which is a collection of all the agreements the roman methodist agreements the mm. roman orthodox mm. agreements the roman anglican agreements discussing the issues basically concluding come on guys you know mm. we all we all mm. believe in the trinity mm. we all do this mm. we all believe that um and then it's a matter of so why are we still
0: in our separate <laughs> silos? Yes, and I think that's yes.
1: where we've now got. But yes, we've, uh, we've, we've come a long
0: way. And I often find in my experience that very often people who are choosing, say, if they go to a new town, which church will I attend? Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. They're not really looking at the denominational label. They're simply sure. looking at the, the flavor, sure, if you like. Sure. It does this sort of sure. – uh, do I prefer to go to a, the, the more lively sort of church? Yep, yep, but you yep. might find that equally within an Anglican church as within yes, somewhere else and you whatever might. it is. You might. You know.
1: And, and – uh, and i know this happens particularly in america i have a lot of uh, american friends who um oh well you know we moved from chicago to somewhere else and so
0: uh, we really liked the preaching at the presbyterian mm-hmm. church so we went there yeah, and yeah. and actually it's not a big deal right um, well let's turn to some of the questions that have come in from uh, from listeners one one in ilkley asks this very simple question first of all says i'm finding the program so helpful thank you well thank you and um, uh, now, this person says, people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. How would you reply to this? <laughs> well,
1: if somebody on a desert island finds a Bible, reads it, discovers that Jesus is a living presence and that he or she wants to worship this Jesus, um, I guess that can happen. Um, uh, you don't have to go to church to have a living no, relationship I have with heard Jesus. a wonderful
0: joke on that front. You've probably oh, the, heard it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that you they, end up with the <laughs> church,
1: two churches, the one he goes to and the one he doesn't go to. I know, I know, I know. There are variants on that. I've heard it. Uh, Jonathan Sachs tells a similar thing about synagogues. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, every religion has it. Okay, yes, 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 I think so. Um, but there's so much about very early Christianity, which is what I basically study in the New Testament, which makes it clear that Christianity is a team sport. Mm. Um, interestingly, when you contrast Christian virtue with pagan virtue, say Aristotle, Aristotle's virtues are all for the individual. I am mm. going to be courageous. I am mm. going to be noble. I am going to be just, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I am going to be a leader of my community. The Christian virtues, things like humility, charity, um, uh, generosity, etc. You require a community to practice these. And so there's a sense in which when the Spirit of Jesus takes somebody over and when they are responding to the Spirit of Jesus, this will naturally become a communal thing. Mm. Now, so it isn't the case that here's this organization and wouldn't it be better if you, as a a lonely Enlightenment individual, (laughs) stayed aloof from it? That's a caricature. Mm. Obviously, it does sometimes feel like that. Mm. Um, But actually we all need one another. We are none of us complete. Hence Paul's amazing image of the body of Christ, that um, we are none of us anything like sufficient. Mm. That's why, I mean, for for me as a scholar, when I write something about a passage in the New Testament, I want my fellow scholars to look at it and say, Tom, you've missed this text or you've Mm. misinterpreted this word. We need one another. Mm. I don't think I'm getting Mm. it all right. I need that feedback. Likewise in the church, And uh, often when I've lectured on what the kingdom of God might mean in the world tomorrow, that sort of thing, young people will come up to me and say, I I see this amazing vision of the kingdom of God. Mm. What should I be doing? And I say, well, you cannot possibly do more than a tiny fraction of the Mm. tasks that Mm. need to be done. You need to be part of a fellowship in which the fellowship as a whole is saying, okay, prayerfully. We are committed to all these different things. Who is going to be good at this one? Who is going to be called to that one, etc. And that should be something that's mm. happening worldwide as well. And then you see the church as this body with many limbs and organs
0: out there in the world doing its thing. Imperfect, obviously, as it does that. But that I often find when I meet people who have, let's say, given up on church because they got hurt. They, you know, didn't didn't suit them. It, you know. I often think, well, that's part of perhaps the challenge is, is yeah. to, to learn yeah. patience, oh, graciousness, yeah. Yeah. how to get along with people who who annoy us. Of course. Um, that is part of the very idea of the whole thing. It's not yeah. simply there for for our personal enjoyment. Yeah. No, quite, quite. And, quite.
1: and, uh, and I remember when I was a student, all sorts of sermons with the usual slogan, you know, if you find a perfect <laughs> church, yes. don't join it because you'll spoil <laughs> it. Um, but yes, I, I think with the wisdom of old age, I I sometimes think that God gives us churches in order to teach us patience. (laughs) um, Certainly as a priest and as a bishop, certainly sometimes how it feels. Equally, there are so many times as a priest and as a bishop, when you come away from a meeting or from hearing what somebody's doing in uh, in drug rehab or whatever it might Mm be, or from a great service, and just think, I am so richly blessed to be part of a community that's doing all this stuff, which I could never begin to do by myself.
0: Uh, Christian in Timisoara, I think I've pronounced that correctly, in Romania. Asks what should be the undergirding theology of worship that shapes any one particular church's worship life and practice, and regardless of your Anglican heritage, if you were to embrace a particular Christian liturgical expression or tradition, which one would it be, and why? So, two questions mm, there.
1: Really. Mm, 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 mm. It's a good question, and coming from Romania, <clears throat> I, I mean, I, Romania is one of the last Eastern European countries I visited not that long ago, and. I was friends just fleetingly with one of the bishops there, a delightful man. Um, And it seems to me there is a rapprochement, again, across different liturgical styles that Anglicans are more appreciative of Orthodox styles and Orthodox Mm. often quite appreciative of Anglican styles. And so I think we are learning from one another. And uh, so I wouldn't want to answer the question in a way which implied that it's going to be either this or that Mm -hmm. and never the twain shall meet. Um, But I do sense... And I've observed this over the years that different temperaments naturally go for different styles of worship. Some people want more words, more intellectual content, Mm. more rational explanation. Other people really want and need to be given the space for some stillness, for some meditative music and Mm. um, and possibilities, for times of silence. Um, And then it's a question of Um, okay so are you just looking for somewhere to be Mm. cosseted in your own (laughs) personality type and actually maturity would say well yes that's good but then I also need to be joggled out of that and to share with my brothers and sisters who are different from me. Mm. Um, Mm. Stephen Sykes the late lamented bishop of Ely who um, I knew very well um, uh, Stephen said that unless everybody in church is a bit cross (laughs) <laughs> at some of the music or liturgy whatever, we're yes. not doing it right. In right. other words, the yes. church ought to try. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I'd be inclined to say that a service <laughs> ought to have its own integrity, right. and then maybe at another time on the mm. Sunday you should have a service with a different um, integrity. Yes, sure. um, but then you should have those different music groups mm. working together in case they start mm. to get a sort of inverted And, and I would say
0: oh, my know. my experience of church, you know, if, if I only had ever – Uh, had access to the type of worship that I grew up in I would have been very you know missed out on so much by not then experiencing it however occasionally uncomfortable I might have felt it was the process of doing that that made me suddenly realize there's a whole world of different expression out there.
1: Absolutely and I think one of the things that we've realized um, from the Protestant side or many have is that the fear of ritualism um, is one thing, and there is a ritualism, but there is also a there's a, there's a charismatic yes. ritualism where everyone has to raise their hands at a certain point. Yes. Um, and that is just as legalistic mm. as um, a Catholic or High Anglican crossing themselves. Yes. But actually, what, uh, again, I'll keep on quoting C.S. Lewis, <laughs> what we do with our bodies affects everything, mm. um, which is why kneeling is important. Now, here's the thing H- how many churches do you know now where they actually kneel regularly? There's not that many. That's true. It went out about twenty years ago, quite suddenly. I think in the nineties, mm. and suddenly, um, even though there were still kneelers, people would just <laughs> sit instead. Yes. And I want to say, actually, we've lost something there. Mm. Again, mm. the late lamented Colin Slee, who was dean of Southwark, he and I you, used to join hands on this. We didn't always agree <laughs> about other things. But, but we both agreed that actually kneeling was good for you. And that if you're in the presence of God Almighty, then actually kneeling is the easy alternative of getting flat on your face um, and, the- and simply slouching in a, in mm. a, a seat. Yes. Just or doesn't or doing the, the crouch, as some oh, people do. Or doing the think. crouch, Well, yeah, yeah, a crouch may be better than sort of sitting back and putting your feet up. But because, because, you know, even in, in my in my private prayers, day by day, um, there are certain moments when, if I find that I'm sitting with my legs crossed, I just think actually that's that's mm. inappropriate. am yeah. in the presence of God here.
0: Clay in Cambridge says something that troubles me and no one seems to know the answer to is how do we know we're in the right church or denomination, learning the right teachings from the word Uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, Anglicans, C of E and every other denomination all varying in opinion. How do we decipher if we're in the right place? i'm not sure what feels like the right place really cuts it my faith was so simple when younger (laughs) says clay i love god he loves me but as i'm older and you try to learn and understand more you realize all the splits and we all agree we love god but we we got it right so we're all divided in our (laughs) terms anyway so lots going on there Clay's. um obviously he he puts a whole group of different denominations together and says "How, how do you know you're in the right one yes
1: yes uh, and and put like that there is no way of knowing but then knowing is such a funny concept anyway um, uh, and the, the question almost sounds as though there ought to be a scientific test where you could put a coin in the slot and it would say this is where you should be and then you won't have to think about it anymore and I, I suspect that with our present denominational chaos we ought to feel uncomfortable um, because uh, after I wrote my big book on Paul some years ago uh, I was going the rounds doing conferences and so on and, and people kept asking me if St Paul could come back today <laughs> what would he be most keen to say to us and I unha- hesitatingly say he would be horrified not just that we are disunited but that we don't care Mm. because for Paul the unity of the church is absolutely vital. if you're not united Mm. why would Caesar take any notice of you if you're not united why would anyone believe that there really is Mm. a new creation Um, and so he battles for church unity Mm. across some very difficult divides all the time, in every single letter. When, when the easy thing would have probably been just to let people do exactly. their different thing exactly. and not exactly. really communicate exactly. with each other. Exactly, but the whole, part of the whole point of Romans, not the whole point, but part of the whole point, coming together in Romans 14 and 15, is that you may with one heart and mind and voice glorify the God and Father of Jesus. Yes, you come from this tradition. Yes, you come from that synagogue community, so you're worried about this. and Now, but here's how you learn the mm. humility of mm. Christ to to come together and worship together and that's the sign to Caesar that Jesus is Lord and he isn't it really really is so I want to say we ought to be uncomfortable and that probably the right thing to do is to start where you are and as you pray about where you are if you feel increasingly uncomfortable as people sometimes do, then pray, look around, see what the alternatives are. Now, this is easy if you live in a big town with lots of different mm-hmm. churches. It's quite difficult if you live in a smaller town, 15 miles away from anywhere else, with only one real active church, mm. where if you then get somebody who's preaching really drives you up the <laughs> wall, are you gonna drive 15 miles? Well, right. that might depend yeah. whether you have children who need to go to Sunday mm-hmm. school, some people will choose to go to a church that they feel they'd really rather not but they feel if everyone doesn't go then it'll be all the worse so these are these are hard choices that people make um and uh you know when i retire which please god won't Mm -hmm. be too long uh, coming,
0: there will be a question. And yeah. um, what are we going to do on Sunday morning? Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting just, just to come back quickly to that question that um, Clay does here mention at the beginning of that list Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, yes, yes. are there some sort of doctrinal issues, e.g., yeah. The Trinit- being a Quite. Trinitarian church uh, yes, that, that I, would I, I say wasn't, I okay. wasn't going to comment on that
1: but but yes it was rather odd to have JWs at the front there um, but of course many people looking from the outside would see Joe's Witness Mormons blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So all, all one and the same and, and, yeah. and, and, and often in America I've seen people lining up Catholics, Protestants and Jews as though these are three of the <laughs> same sorts <laughs> right, of things yes. And most Jewish people would say, um, "No, that's (laughs) not how it is." Um, But so the the different public perceptions are very odd. Um, So yes, I I would say, please make sure it's Trinitarian. Please make sure that the Bible is read and taught. Please make sure that it has the Eucharist, the bread breaking, call it what you will, somewhere in the centre of its life. Now that might be once a year. It Mm. might be once a week. but, But yeah. that that's,
0: that's there are, some distinctives, there which, are which, some distinctives which 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 yes, kind yes. of have to be in place sure, um, sure. yes um coming back to the the sort of idea of ecumenism and especially on a global level uh, anna in brazil asks many christian leaders have been talking about a potential revival in christianity around the world bringing episcopalians catholics and reformed christians together so what is the balance between striving for unity and a critical attitude towards the limitations of each denomination or theological tradition um, and anna says wouldn't it be quite insensitive to overlook deep differences for the sake of common goals Um, what's your thought on that?
1: It it would it would but this is where the crucial thing is um, what is the common core and um, Rowan Williams did a lecture in Rome some years ago um, I think it was 2009 where he as it were laid down this challenge we know we agree on the trinity the resurrection incarnation atonement um, we all invoke the Holy Spirit so Uh, what's to stop us getting together? And if, uh, I think his point was then about the doctrines concerning Mary, Mm. that if... Um, you say well you can't give up your marian things and we don't want to take them on is that is that a difference we could live with Mm. because within some catholic teaching it wouldn't be a difference you can live with you've got to take the whole package although many roman catholics will say privately that actually they'd be happy uh, if that wasn't a, a necessary thing so i think we come back to those same questions how do you tell the differences the difference between the differences that make a difference and the differences that don't make a difference but we ought to. Those are not easy questions, but if we were at least working at them, Mm. raising those questions in that way, we might get somewhere. And so I want to say, yeah, um, there was a a theologian taught at King's London and uh, before that in Oxford, Eric Maskell, in a previous generation. And somebody said, um, we in the Church of England don't know um, why we have deacons because it's just the first year of somebody being ordained. So, why mm. do we just make them all priests straight away? Mm. And Maskell quoted, and I'm, this is apropos the different bits that we don't quite understand. He said he once talked to a Swiss doctor who said to him, uh, Your English doctors don't know what tonsils are for, and so they take them out. I do not know what tonsils are for, and so I leave them in. <laughs> um, and that's so, so a great line, yes, yes. you know, that, that, that maybe there was a reason for that maybe there wasn't, but maybe Mm, there was. mm, mm. And maybe it's the path of humility to say, let's learn from each other.
0: Uh, Let's finish with a final sort of pastoral sort of question. Someone someone who's just at the beginning, I suppose, of of looking ahead to pastoring Christians in churches. Matt in Durham, North Carolina says, what encouragement would you have for a first-year seminarian, I assume that is Matt himself, who is grasped by a vision of the kingdom come, but is wrestling with what that vision will look like in predominantly rural churches in the American South that can be resistant to change. And Mm -hmm. I suspect there are similar churches in the UK that might be of the same
1: sort. Uh, Matt, if you want some examples of churches that are resistant to change, (laughs) I could introduce (laughs) you to several. Um, uh, Famously, um, it's in one of the books about John Habgood, sometime Archbishop of York, when he arrived at some parish and, and met the church warden, discovered the church warden had been there for sort of 35, Five years and said you you must have seen a lot of changes during your time yes he said and i opposed them all <laughs> and, and yeah and i i understand that yes. i uh, i come from a very traditional church um mm. and my father was a church warden and he didn't oppose all the changes mm. but there's a sense of this is where we're at home mm. it's like if you introduce a new liturgy suddenly then people feel as though they're not wearing the right clothes. Mm, mm. And that's a cruel thing to do to people when Mm. they've come in humility to worship God. And so if you're going to make changes, you have to have a strategy for how to do that. So if it was, for instance, a new style of liturgy, modern words or whatever, you might want to have uh, a whole Lent course where for six weeks, you'd have people on Wednesday evenings looking at, here are some options. This is how some people elsewhere do it. This is what we think now. And and make sure that Mm. the key movers and shakers in the church are part of that yes. and not resi- not standing aloof um, it, that's really difficult mm. but it's why for instance the Cursillo movement which my wife and I met when we were in Montreal um, insisted that people could only come from uh, a parish when the bishop of the diocese had already been to a cocio so it wouldn't be a breakaway movement mm. and that lay people in a parish could only go if the parish priest had already been etc etc and in the traditional form um uh, wives would only go yeah, if the you husband mentioned had this been in first. a previous oh, did podcast I? Right. you did sorry, yeah but, I but no no it's fine yeah, yeah, yeah. but no it, it illustrates but, but the point well it illustrates yeah. the point that um change can happen but if it's rammed through um without explanation this can be very cruel yes um and i think um that, you, it's that, good
0: to take people with you oh, it's uh, vital to take people yes. with you yes I, and, i've seen churches i must confess where i've seen good examples where changes happen and bad yeah, examples yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, in yeah. The, the difference for me has been the ability of that leader to bring people to with bring them.
1: people along with yes yes and and that means the slow Mm. prayerful work of getting to know the people and it and probably happening
0: on a longer time scale longer than, time than scale. you would prefer yep, yep, yep. Yeah.
1: that's right parish priest comes in or no, par- <laughs> minister comes in and says okay um a couple of weeks time we're going to be doing this this and this people <laughs> uh-huh yeah uh, excuse me um and there is such a thing as leadership but um and i think i may have said this to you in a previous podcast in that case the thomas the tank engine principle no you haven't oh, you tell okay. us the thomas well, the tank engine principle because my name is tom um, and i when i was a little boy it was when the first thomas the tank engine books were coming out in the oh, right. late 40s early 50s and one of the stories which naturally i remember vividly is thomas um being very excited and steaming away out of the station getting a mile or two down the road and thinking this is fun and then the driver looks back and the carriages weren't coupled on, ah. and they're still in the station. He has to go back and get them, um, and so that's always been for me quite an important yes. Thomas story, um, written by a, a minister, no doubt. No of less, course, less, of uh, course, w. yes. H. And I'm Jordan. sure. Uh, I mean, uh, quite
0: a lot of his stuff was rather quaint allegories, <laughs> and uh, there from, may well have been pastoral there. life. Absolutely. I'm sure it was. Hope that's helped in some way, Matt, <laughs> in Durham, uh, and all the very best with your forthcoming <laughs> ministry. um Tom, thank you very much as well for sharing time with us to talk through church issues, unity, worship, and and such like. Uh, look forward to another edition of the program in a couple of weeks' time, and uh, we will meet again soon. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. There's more from Tom, same time next week. And for all your other needs, do go to our website, premierunbelievable.com. For now, much love, God bless, and see you next time.